What's up, skeptics? Welcome to another episode of Reason to Doubt, your source for all things skeptical. I'm your host, Jordan. With me, as always, is Jared. How's it going, Jared? It is going well. It's been a cold, snowy, wet week or so here. Um, yeah, I was out on like shorts and a t-shirt on Christmas, and now I'm having to like wear a hat and stuff. This is nonsense. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's given me a lot of time because we lost power for a little bit and stuff, and I've just been contemplating and reflecting on stuff and thinking about how immoral my life is, you know? Well, you're an atheist, so pretty immoral, I would imagine. Right. But I wish I had something that could like guide me, right? Like some sort of principle or something that could show me, at least tell me like in words that are really short, really distinct and to the point, like this is how you're mo- be moral and this is how you are not moral, you know? Have you tried reading Dawkins' books? I mean, I, that's supposed to be our Bible, right? Yeah, well, I did read it, but he I guess I might have breezed past that chapter on morality. I don't know. So Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments and more broadly a little bit about Old Testament morality. Ten Commandments, if you're not familiar with them, somehow, I think most of our audience, such as it is, lives in America, and I'd be shocked if any of them have never heard of them. But if you've never heard of them, they are allegedly the 10 big rules that thou shalt not do the 10 most important ones. Yeah. I'd be surprised actually if after this episode, people were like, I didn't know that about the 10 commandments, you know, or I think there's going to be some stuff that comes up in this episode that most people won't know about. So, yeah, I think there's going to be that the 10 commandments you are familiar with, if you've not looked into the them before you for yourself you just kind of took the list that was on sunday school wall and that was it uh those are not first of all those aren't the only 10 and they may not say what you think they say so uh yeah it's gonna be a lot to cover today and the reason we're kind of talking about this uh first of all is because many christians and some jews will claim that the ten commandments are the basis for all of western morality um you know some would even argue that they were divinely inspired so not just that, that they were, but that they're so perfect, they basically had to be. Correct. There's no yeah. explanation for it aside from them being divinely yeah. inspired. Exactly. Not just because the Bible says they were, but they're so perfect and they're the – you couldn't write a more perfect and more moral thing in the world. They'd have to only be divine inspired, right? Exactly. Yeah. And so we're questioning, but like are they though? Like are they really that great? And yeah. that – I mean the fact that – the claim of they're the basis of all Western morality and they are a perfect set of moral rules, that's a claim we can investigate. Yes. But before we investigate it, though, we want to bring you this episode from the ad populum fallacy, which is also known as the bandwagon fallacy. Right. Today's fallacy of the day is something that happens when you claim something is true or it's correct merely because, well, like everybody says it. So it must be right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For example, everybody drives five miles over the speed limit, so it shouldn't be against the law to drive five miles over the speed limit. Right. Therefore, it's not wrong. Yeah. Which is- I'd argue it, it's not wrong. <laughs> really. I mean, really, is it really that bad? You know. I mean, everybody does it. So. <clears throat> right. Um, or obviously, the moon is made of cheese. Everybody knows the moon is made of cheese. You yeah. know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So the thing to keep in mind with this one is. Most people have been wrong about most of the things they knew through human history. For a long time, 
everybody knew the earth was flat, though not as long as people think, like the Greeks knew the earth was round. Right. Uh, but everybody knew that time was constant for everyone. Everyone knew that it didn't matter how fast you, would, you went, time didn't change. And so everybody knowing something isn't good evidence that it's true necessarily, depending on who those people are. On the other hand, you have to be careful not to apply this too broadly because if, say, you had 100 experts and 99 of them say, okay, A is probably right, that may not be evident, that may not definitively say it is true, but as a piece of evidence, as a heuristic, it would be reasonable to say, okay, well, it's more likely to be true because these experts agree. That's not the same as a bandwagon. It's not true because people agree with it. It's experts with relevant training in the field say this, so I am going to have a a priori think that it's, well, that wouldn't necessarily be a priori, that'd be posteriori, but that'll be a piece of evidence indicating that I, I think it's likely true. Right. But they could be wrong. Probabilistically, they could be wrong. Actually, right. they're probably right, but... They're probably right, yeah. but you never know. Don't jump on the bandwagon. Don't jump on the bandwagon. Don't do that. And just like that, don't jump on the bandwagon about the Ten Commandments. So... <laughs> Segway. <clears throat> yeah, Segway. We're the best at it. So the Ten Commandments, the story that uh, you probably heard, at least the story as I heard it when I was in Sunday school, went something like this, that like uh, Moses got the laws from God and some lessons they talked about him getting angry because those darn Israelites were so ungrateful and they were like worshiping the wrong God. But then it was like, and so Moses like yelled at him, but then it was fine. Like they, yeah. they, they realized they are their ways and then, uh, that, but that was what led to like the 40 years in the desert. Yeah. So seemed a little harsh, but yeah. So in preparation for this, I looked up a, uh, video on the YouTubes and it just happened to be a video made for children for Sunday schools and it was all cartoony and stuff. And it was like a three minute video and the basic message was the Israelites came out of Egypt. Moses took them to Mount Sinai. God gave them 10 commandments and said, these are the commandments for you and live by them. And that was it. So like a message made for kids in Sunday school, that was the, the broad strokes. Like, so now obviously people who've looked into it more depth would understand more of it, but what's the real story? If, if you just crack open your Bible and you know, blow the dust off it and you don't or, fall asleep after two verses. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or do what I did and go to Bible Gateway because I don't actually open my Bible. Uh, here's what actually happened. And the story is actually pretty crazy if you just just read it. It would make a uh, great movie. I think they've done it. Oh, have they? Once or twice, maybe. <laughs> so, okay. So the whole kerfuffle in Egypt happened, right? And they, they got out. And then, uh, so Moses is like, we need rules. Anyway, he gets called onto Mount Sinai by God. Okay. So Moses goes up and gets the Ten Commandments from God. Now, I say the Ten Commandments. These are the ones that you're familiar with, the list that we'll probably enumerate later. But, you know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, those sort of things. They're all the, the ones that are on the Supreme Court. He gets those. They are not called the Ten Commandments. That will be important later, but they are the first 10. Yeah. God gives yeah. them 10 instructions and says, here. Yeah. 
and he he does not yet write them on a tablet. Yeah. That comes later. He so Moses like, OK, cool, great. People need to know that he runs back down the mountain, tells everybody like the cliff notes. Hey, these 10 are important. Cool. You got it. You got it. Great. Then he gets 70 elders like the, the leading council or whatever, and they're going to go back up the mountain to get more instruction. And he's like, Aaron, you're in charge. Don't mess up. Some other guys, too, but mainly Aaron. He's the yeah. important one. Aaron's like, I got this, dude. Don't worry. All over it. So Moses goes back up there and he's up there a while. He's up there for 40 days and it is a lot of chapters. It's like, like what? Six chapters. He's up there. It's yeah. I don't remember the exact amount, but it's a lot of chapters. There's a lot of rules in there. And he took all the leadership with him. Right. So, right. This has been in any kind of like military place. You take all the leadership away. Guess what happens? Chaos. Chaos. He let, he went up there with every officer and NCO and he left just the Joes. And then he comes back. He's surprised that things went wrong. Of course they went yeah, wrong. Yeah. Aaron's down there running around with him. It's like, oh my gosh, everybody's going crazy. So, right. Aaron's the E4. Never yeah. been in anything in his life. So while he's gone, the everyone is getting anxious. And I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but they're basically like, Moses is gone. We don't know what happened to him. And we need gods. We, we need to direct our worship at something. Aaron's so, like, okay. I'm on it. Aaron says to give him all his gold, get like, get all your gold jewelry and stuff. And he makes a mold and fashions a golden calf from the mold he made. Then he says, this is the Lord. This, these, this is the God that brought you out of Israel. And we're going to have a festival to the Lord. Which is, if you read in your Old Testament um, and you see the Lord in all capitals, that's actually short for Yahweh. Uh, but they won't actually type out Yahweh because in Jewish thought and in Jewish practice, you never speak the the name of the Lord. Or so you, they just make it. It's called the um, the tetrahedron or something. Anyways, yeah. So if you see that that. All caps, you know he's talking about the Jewish God, not some other yeah, God. It's specifically the Jewish God, yeah. Right. And so he uh, has cast an image of a calf. He said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He built an altar. Tomorrow we'll have a festival to the Lord. And then everyone rose and did burnt offerings and all that. Well, meanwhile, Moses and crew are up there and God's talking to Moses and he's his like God senses go off. And he's like, whoa, you know what your bro boy is doing down there like he's worshiping other gods i'm gonna go kill them all and most like it's okay like they're stiff-necked it's like it'll be fine i'll go fix it don't kill everybody <laughs> <laughs> and to his credit god changes his mind it says that he changes his mind about killing everyone so that's cool but now and during this period god has given him the stone tablets that have not just the 10 commandments but like the whole law that he has just dictated over these 40 days yeah so god typed out like a really small like uniform a bunch right. of shit on a bunch of tablets on yeah. these tablets so moses comes down from the mountain and he's got the tablets in his hands and they can hear the celebration he gets there moses is super angry which seems a little weird because like he knew what was happening like god just told him yeah and he, he just talked god out of like killing everybody so yeah, he just talked God out of mass murder. Right. So, <laughs> so Moses gets so angry, he smashes these tablets to bits. He destroys the tablets that were just handed to him by the almighty creator of the universe. 
right? Uh, then he takes the calf that they made, the golden one. He grinds it into powder, mixes it with water, and makes them drink it. <laughs> this is like some hardcore, you know, Greek life hazing stuff going on here. <laughs> so, yeah, but it gets better. <laughs> so then he he goes to Aaron, who he left in charge, and he says, "Bro, what did you do? What, like, why?" Did you do this? Why did the people bring this great sin upon them? And Aaron said, he says, uh, you know, he says, quote, and we're we're reading all these verses that we're getting are from the NRSV. If you want to check our like read along with us. The new revised standard version. Right. Which we think is probably one of the better translations. Aaron says, you know, the people, they are bent on evil. They said to me, make us gods who shall go before us because Moses is gone. So I said to them, whoever has gold, take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. It just, it just came out of the fire, man. I don't know what happened. (laughs) Aaron literally throws everybody under the bus. (laughs) You know, these guys, they're crazy. (laughs) So it's funny. If you read more in the story several times, the writers are not letting Aaron off because they're like, uh, the people are running wild for Aaron had let them run wild. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so Moses listens to Aaron and then he gets all his loyal people together and he tells all of his loyal soldiers, the sons of Levi to kill each of them, a son or a brother. So each one has to kill at least one other person related to them so that they can get blessings. And then they go and do it. They go and kill each of them, another Israelite, so that 3,000 people get murdered. You know who doesn't get murdered, though? Oh, Aaron. The guy responsible for it all. <laughs> yeah, the guy who who, who did everything, yeah. you know? Yeah. So we're already we're like on day one of that well i guess it's day 41 at this point yeah. but we're early on in the having the moral guidebook and we're already into mass murder so <laughs> not off to a fantastic start but anyways so once the killing is done and there's blood running and the, the things and all the israelites just watched a bunch of their people get killed uh moses hikes back up the mountain <laughs> He's like, uh, you know those tablets uh, you gave yeah. me? Uh, Aaron broke them. <laughs> right. <laughs> he doesn't actually say that. But, no, he doesn't say that. <laughs> uh, so God's like, okay, fine. I'll remake the tablets. He says, I will write the tablets on the tablets, the words that were on the former tablets, which you broke. Okay. And now we're in Exodus chapter 34. And this is where things get interesting. Doesn't God actually make Moses write them this time? He's like... well. Uh, I read it a couple times and I wasn't quite clear because he does say I will write them. Okay. Right. But then he says, write this down. So it's not clear if like God wrote most of them, like rewrote the old notes, but then made Moses do some new ones or it's not entirely clear to me. Um, But in either case, here's where it gets interesting in verse 10. So God says here, I hereby make a covenant. And then he gives a bunch of rules. He gives 10 more rules. And then at the end of it, he says uh, that in accordance with these words, I've made a covenant with Israel and Moses up there for another 40 days and nights. And he wrote on the tablets, the words of the covenant, the 10 commandments. So the, the commandments he's just given are now explicitly called the 10 commandments. In the actual biblical s- script, it says the 10 commandments referring right. to the words that God made the covenant with. Right. In other words, the words he just said. Plot twist, they are not the Ten Commandments you heard in Sunday school. 
No. And they're not the ones hanging up in your courthouse if you live in right. Georgia. Yeah. So what's going on? That's the story. Yeah. There are, by some counts, 20 commandments, maybe more depending on how you look at other books. But there's the 10 that happen at the beginning of the story in Exodus 20. And those are the 10 you're used to hearing. Don't have any gods before me. Don't make an idol. Don't take the use the Lord's name wrongfully. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Yeah. And interestingly enough, that list is repeated again a third, well, a second time, but there's three lists of Ten Commandments, and that one's in Deuteronomy. So, right. And that's probably why we consider that one. Right. In Deuteronomy, Moses is recounting the story of the Ten Commandments, and these are the ones he says. Right. But the ones that are explicitly called the Ten Commandments in Exodus 34 are a little different. They go like this Uh, Take care not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you're going. And he says exactly which people not to make covenants with yeah, and not with their gods either. Don't cast false idols. That's a repeat. We know how that one turned out. <laughs> right. Not yeah. well, except yeah. for Aaron. He turned out okay. Yeah. You shall keep the festival of the unleavened bread. Hmm, that seems pretty important. Mm-hmm. Very important. All that first opens the womb is mine. And then he talks about like basically the firstborn of, of all your livestock. Number five, remember this. No one shall appear before me empty handed. Don't you be coming in here without any gifts now. I need my monies. Right. (laughs) Uh, Number six, six days shall you work, but on the seventh you rest. So remember the Sabbath, same as before. Number seven, you shall observe the festival of weeks. Hmm. First fruits of harvest, harvest festival. Number eight, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. So don't mix yeast and blood because that's gross. Don't be sopping up your steak with bread, okay? (laughs) Yeah, not if you're going to offer it to me anyway. And number nine, the best of your first fruits on your ground, bring to the Lord. Uh, And number 10, the last one of the 20, I wrote the last one twice. Oh, how could I forget this? It's so obvious. You need it in any list of commandments. Don't boil a kid, so a baby goat, in its mother's milk. Or, I mean, any kind of kid, I guess, but... True. I, I, I imagine it's probably talking like I imagine the original Hebrew is more explicit, but you know, while we're at it, just don't <laughs> do kids at all. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't say that. I'm sure it refers does, to does not like boiled goat. Yeah. At least not boiled in milk. So your uh, your Reuben sandwich, that's off the table now, bro. Uh and these Ten Commandments, the ones that are there, those are the ones that go in the Ark of the Covenant. And they like walk around the desert with them and stuff. And those are the ones that were so important that that's what God made the covenant with the Israelite people with. So So, there are two Decalogues. A Decalogue is the list of 10. Yeah. Deca. Deca 10, log, law. Right. And so what you'll read in the literature and like scholars talking about this, they view the first as an ethical Decalogue and the second one as the ritual Decalogue. And they're like a parallel for two different modes of being or whatever. Um, and so that's how they explain it. But it still remains, the, the fact still remains that in the text as written in Exodus, it's the second ones, the ritual ones that are considered the Ten Commandments. Right. So, I mean, out of all those, so let's just look at them as 20, okay? For our purposes here, we don't want to get pedantic about which one is the correct 10. Let's just take them all as 20, right? Because these are from God. So right. we'll, we'll use these. To analyze, of, 
Yeah. Regardless whether they're the first 10 or the second 10, it doesn't matter. God told you to do all these things. Right. And so we're going to give a little bit of a benefit of a doubt here. We're going to look at these as 20, even though we'll call them 10, right? Because the claim is that one of these lists, one of these 10s is the perfect moral code and the basis for Western morality and all that stuff. So now that we know what they are, we can actually maybe examine that claim, right? Right. So let's let's look, and I'm going to look at the first 10 to start with. <clears throat> Six of them cover things that you might consider ethical. Honoring sure. your elders, maybe. Don't lie, don't steal, don't murder. Six of them cover that kind of behavior. Four of them cover stuff that definitely doesn't have anything to do with that. Uh, don't have any gods before me. Don't make pictures of gods. Don't say my name. Don't say my name. Don't say, <laughs> say my, my name. Say my name, say my name. And remember the Sabbath. Not like <clears throat> these aren't moral guides, but maybe they're important to God. Okay. But like, don't own people as property. Didn't have room for that. Hey, yeah. don't rape people. You know? Maybe. Nope, that was that wasn't really important. I mean didn't make the list. You have to you have to remember, Jordan, they were writing and so they didn't have like a lot of pen and paper and stuff, right? So they had to be very short and with their words. No, God wrote these. He could make whatever he wants. <laughs> so it, it seems like he left off a lot of things that I would consider important for any kind of moral guide, right? But I get it, like, okay, these are the first ten. These are like the cliff notes, you know? These are like the concise, the punchy ones, the meme. Of your of your guide, he gives like very many chapters of guidance. So surely in there, he's a bit more explicit, right? You would think so, but it turns out he's actually not. Um, so yeah, so if you go through the whole thing from twenty to the end, where all the commandments, excluding like the parts where Moses is walking back and forth, just like the commandments. Like all the various commands he gives, because it's not just the Decalogue. Remember, he gets the Decalogue and a bunch of other stuff and then another Decalogue. Right. So if you put them all together in English, it's about eighty one hundred words. Now, 1950 of those words are moral things, more things that you would consider related to morality, like how long may not be moral in our eyes, but (laughs) right. Related to a subject that touches morality. So like. How should you treat your slaves? The slaves you should definitely have. Yeah. And <laughs> how, how do you interact with your neighbors if you have a squabble? Stuff like that. Right. Right. The other, the remainder, the other 6,150 words are about how to make a ritual, how to construct a tabernacle. And we're not like, he goes way into depth. Yeah. So, for example, let's just look at how God, there's just a few verses here on God's instructions for creating the ark that's going to go into the tabernacle. He says, have them make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, a cubit and a half high. And then I want you to overlay it with pure gold inside out, make a gold molding around it, cast four gold rings for it and fasten them to its four feet with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles ought to remain and it just goes on and on and on about this thing, man, for like 13 more verses. It's ridiculous. It's like an Ikea handbook. <laughs> it's worse than an Ikea book. It's like trying to teach somebody how to make a peanut butter and jelly who doesn't even know what peanut butter or jelly is. It's ridiculous. Right. He goes way, way into depth. And yet... He spent all this time 
on how you build a tabernacle, exactly what the dimensions are going to be, the priest vestments, what they should be made of, when yeah. you go in, how do you walk, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at no point does he say anything about raping someone. Yeah. Like sexual morality. Hey, a welfare system. Here's how you should have that. Right. I mean, so it's like he goes into all this detail about how, you know, lay out the tabernacle, all this stuff. But when it comes to like the actual moral stuff, he's like, uh, don't bear false witness. Right. But what does that even mean? Like, you don't like, you think you want some details and lay it out? Right. Right. Don't bear false witness. What does that mean? Just like, and maybe the original Hebrew is a bit more explicit, like what's scenario? I don't know. But does that mean don't lie? Does it like, and if it is, let's say it's, it's don't lie. Don't say things that aren't true. Well, can we get some nuance there? Wait, does that mean like never lie? Right. Is, hey. Are we going with Kant here where like no lying ever? What if you're lying to save a Jew from Hitler? Is that okay? Like, I think it's okay. Well, I mean, if you're just going up face value in the word of God, that's a lie. and That's bad. So Right. Don't, you know, don't murder. Okay, well, what counts as murder? I mean, it's not killing. So, I mean, Moses just killed 3,000 people. So, like, and God was going to kill everybody, right? So, clearly, killing is not necessarily bad. Well, what what counts? But we yeah. don't we don't get that. <laughs> yeah, there's no nuance. There's no, it's just kind of very yeah. cut and, and dry stuff. Like It's not like we didn't have room. <laughs> he had yeah. plenty of time yeah. to talk about this. So, if he had a perfect understanding of morality and perfect knowledge of how, and perfect knowledge and perfect power, all of which would mean he would know exactly what needs to be said and what way to communicate it exactly and didn't do any of that, that seems a little sus to me. Right. And if you go back to like the original claim that this was the a perfect moral code and the basis for Western civilization, and we just look at the, the 10 that are in the courtrooms, right? So if you take 10 of those and you take away the silly ones that don't even mean anything, so take away four, you're only left with six. And of those six, like that's the basis for Western morality. I I don't know, man. It seems like we could do better. And if you dig into some of the other moral rules we were given, I would argue they're not particularly moral. So let's take right after the first 10. Remember, Moses gives the first decalogue, like the cliff notes, goes back up. The very next thing God tells him are the laws concerning slaves. And what he doesn't say, which is the only correct thing to say, is don't have them, period. That would have been the correct answer. Instead, he gives two paragraphs on if you buy a male Hebrew slave, how long can he serve? Six years. Then you have to give let him go on the seventh, right? But so so we'll hear from apologists sometimes like, oh, well, it wasn't really slavery. It's just indentured it's servitude. It's indentured servitude, man. That's still slavery. It's still bad. <laughs> but, you know, okay, fine. He had to let him go. First of all, you only had to let him go if he was both male and Hebrew. But here's that there's a clause in there to get around that. So it says if his master gives him a wife and she bears him children, the wife and children, they belong to the master. And so when he leaves on year seven, he doesn't take his family. He goes alone. Yeah. So if you're this indentured servant, right, and you're sitting there going, hmm, freedom. Or my wife and kids. Because he can then say, but if the slave declares, I love my master, my wife and children, and I don't want to be free, then he can get his ear pierced with an awl, and that shows he's a slave for life. This is absurd. You're using a guy's family as blackmail to keep him in bondage for the rest of his life. 
That is atrocious. And that's just Hebrew slaves. This is male Hebrew slaves. Yeah, exactly. So when we can get in this into this in a different podcast mainly, but slavery in the Bible is slavery without a doubt. I don't care if it's slavery like the antebellum South, it's slavery. You are owning someone as property. If that someone is not a male Hebrew, then you own them for their entire life. And you own their descendants. And even if you could say like, oh, they're indentured servitude, whatever. So this is how the Hebrew God thinks you can treat these slaves. Exodus 21, 20 through 21 says, anyone who beats their male or female slave with the rod must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result. But they are not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two since they since the slave is their property. That I don't think that's Exodus. Is that Exodus? Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. you're right. Uh, further down, Exodus 21, verse 20. 20. Yep. Yep. So when a slave owner strike a male with a rod and the slave dies immediately, that's bad. But if he strikes a day or two, that's fine. Yeah, this is the perfect moral judge. Not only can you own people as slaves, but if you beat them with a stick, as long as they don't die in two days, it's cool. Right? Like, that's ridiculous, man. And And what we're told often is that this is like, their welfare like they didn't have welfare and so like this is how people who were down on their luck would get out of bondage or whatever let's leave aside the fact that it only counted to male hebrews and if you were not a male hebrew you were not in that boat or whatever let's leave all that aside again this is god you're telling me god didn't know how welfare works like god didn't understand how you could set up a system of like support that right. didn't involve owning people as property. He couldn't have taken like a hundred of the 8,100 words he put towards, or the 6,000 words he put towards the tabernacle and said, okay, let's, no slaves, but let's set up a system where if somebody's poor down on their luck, you know, you can lend them money, you can give them some food for a while, you know, they got to work to earn their keep, but they're not property, you got to treat them nice. But- I don't know necessarily what the 100% right solution is. I know for a fact it wasn't owning people as property. Yeah, wasn't allowing them to beat them. I guarantee you, if you took someone, uh, I have a friend of mine who has a doctorate in like public policy. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, if you sent my friend back in time, she could come up with a better system than this. Now, she is benefiting from several thousand years of human progress, so it's not surprising to us that she would know better than an ancient Hebrew. Right. But if this but. was the divine inspired word or actual written word from an all-knowing, all-powerful being, they would have that knowledge too, right? Right. And then exactly. all the other knowledge. So. so this doesn't strike me as a book written by someone who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and perfectly good. This is a book written by a Bronze Age culture four plus thousand years ago with the morality of their day. Yeah. If you just examine it at face value for what it is, if nobody told you anything, you took the God out of the story, you just laid out these rules and you said, do you think this is a perfect moral code? I'm going to say most people would say no. Right. Uh, Other excuses we'll hear is, well, what about the New Testament? Like yeah, that, yeah, that, was, that like, was the old covenant, man. This is the new covenant, right? Yeah. Well, God's supposed to be perfect and unchanging. So 
old or new, it's supposed to be perfect. And I've also heard, well, you have to give them an imperfect system at first because it's like how you don't teach children the full truth right up front. Well, I can't think of any reason to start with slavery. I don't see how that's going to get you anywhere. But like right after this happens, they spend, we're told, none of this probably happened, right? Like they probably didn't, never even went to Egypt. Exactly. But But specifically like with the slavery thing, like in the story, the Israelites just came out of slavery. So they know how bad it is. Right. And then they spend 40 years wandering in the desert. That's plenty of time to mold a culture into whatever you want. Yeah. A lot of brainwashing can happen in 40 years. (laughs) Right. So they could have, they could have come out of the, out of the desert, you know, with a, 23rd century morality system you know just catapulted the world into the future but now i guess not i mean think about what we've done in the past 40 years right yeah uh, Yeah. we're certainly have plenty of room to grow but come on at least we're not we're we're not explicitly owning people as property just effectively so (laughs) end of the day this is not some amazing list of moral like what uh, this moral book. And I would argue most Christians probably don't actually get their morality from this. No. Like, I, I think they're so vague. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Like, okay. They're so like basic. Everyone already agrees with them. Like the points that are good are just so banal and mundane that, okay. Any, but literally anyone could have written them down. Yeah. And the points that aren't like that don't matter. Exactly. Especially the ones about how you treat this God and how you... So, interestingly enough, we looked up some other religious cultures to see, you know, how they, you know, deal with morality and stuff. So, Buddhism is is one we're going to start with. uh, And its morality is codified in the form of 10 precepts. They're called Dasa Sila, uh, which require abstination from one, taking life, two, taking what is not given... So this is abstinence. So you're abstaining from these things. So don't do don't, these things. Don't do these things. Three, committing sexual misconduct. Four, engaging in false speech. Five, using intoxicants. Six, eating after midday. Seven, participating in worldly amusements. Eight, adorning the body with ornaments and using perfume. Nine, sleeping on high and luxurious beds. And ten, accepting gold and silver. Now, some of those are a little funny, but only the first five have to be followed by the average lay Buddhist, right? The other five are just for the monks and like the, the, the priests basically. And so if you look at the first five, which are the ones that are supposed to apply to everyone kind of, you could look at it almost like the, the first five are compulsory to everyone. If everyone was Buddhist and the other five are like, okay, if you want to go further, then you can also take these five. Don't, kill people don't take a life okay well, great. not even people taking life in general yeah. right so don't take life all right don't take what's not given cool don't commit sexual misconduct which means like don't commit adultery don't sexual rape abuse. somebody yeah. don't abuse somebody cool. yeah. hey, they found room for rape it's right there yeah uh don't engage in false seats don't lie and five don't use intoxicants which i mean i'm drinking a beer right now so i would miss that but like i could i could get down with that you know yeah, i mean it seems like a just from five, five. I think we have a better moral code than what's in the yeah. Ten Commandments. We've already we've already made an improvement, right? Yeah. So, what so, about Jainism? Jainism is one that I hear a lot. That I get a lot of respect. I hear a lot of respect given to Jainism. Yeah. So they have 
what they call vows, basically. So in Jainism, if you become a Jain, you take 12 vows. Uh, there's a lot of them, but I'm just going to give you like the bullet points. So you take a vow of nonviolence, a vow of non-stealing, a vow of chastity, a vow of non-possession, a vow of limited area of activity. So limited area of activity is sort of meant to like don't travel a bunch of places as a way to reduce in your harm and your impact on the world. Um, avoidance of pointless sins. So speaking badly of people, self-indulgence, you know, consuming immoral material. So I guess pornography. I don't know about that one, but mm. uh, <laughs> uh, a meditation vow. So you got to meditate 48 minutes every day. Uh, limited duration of activity vow. So you, this one's about like being scheduled, restricting your activities to a specific time. Um, limited aesthetics life vow. So this one's being, you know, adopting the life of a monk every once in a while. So you, every month or so you're like i'm gonna live like a monk for a day kind of and a then, purge yeah and then a limited charity charity vow so this one's like given to monks nuns the poor stuff like that there were two you missed uh, truthfulness and oh. limited use of resources yes so limited use of res- uh, resources using only what you need and then truthfulness that one makes sense but now we did bump it up to 12 but still less than 20 yeah and the two at the end are sort of like uh, every once in a while kind of thing right so. uh and i i'd argue again we're way above what the Ten Commandments give us. It, it encompasses everything in the Ten Commandments that's good and builds on it. Yeah. Jainism's all about using as little as what you can to get by with, have living live in a simple life, um, reducing your impact as much as possible on the world so you don't harm anything. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean And I'd argue that from this, because you have that little bit more of complexity, more of an ethical framework naturally grows from it. Whereas right. if you're the, the 10 commandments, you know, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't murder. There's a lot of things you can do within that guideline. You know, yeah. that, you know, there, there's a wide range. Whereas this kind of flows more naturally to a whole system. Sure. If you're so, trying, if you're looking at Jainism and you're trying to think about if an act would be moral based on these things, you could filter it through all 12. And if it passes all 12, I mean, I'm going to argue that's a pretty moral act. So it's pretty good. Uh, I think the last one we have is the best one, which so makes sense. Let's not give the name of it. Let's just tell, say what it is. Okay. So. so in this system that shall not be named, there are seven fundamental tenets. And they... One. One should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. Two. The struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. So value justice above laws. Three, one's body is inviolable, subject to one's will alone. Hmm. That would cover rape and stuff. Four, the freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. Five, Belief should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care to never distort scientific facts to fit one's belief. Say it again. Amen, Brother Jordan. (laughs) Number six, people are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. And number seven, every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The words of the spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. Now, this isn't as formulaic as the others, but I'd argue it's pretty good. Like, Yeah, 
out of the four we've presented tonight or today, whenever you're listening to this, that's, I think, probably the most moral or has the the possibility to allow for the most moral acts in the world. And the least immoral acts. The, and the least fewest. immoral. That's true. Right. Yeah, the fewest. Yeah. Right. And we're speaking of Satanism, by the way. So. Right. This is from the the church, the temple of Satanism. The Satanic and, temple, yep. Right, the Satanic temple. And it makes sense because these seven were written in the 20th century, late 20th century, with all of our understanding to date, which just goes to show that, you know, I'm sure that if the Bible writers were living today, they would write a much better book. Why? Because they would know better. Yeah. Because it wasn't coming from an immortal deity. It was coming from a bunch of people who lived in Israel. Right. Exactly. And this was written by humans. So explicitly. Explicitly. They don't claim that it came from anywhere else. Yeah. Satan Satanism isn't a it's like a it's almost like a parody of religion, I guess you'd say, or satire of religion, but yeah, it's a satire, and at best, it's a maybe a philosophy of not harming other people. Yeah. Basically, don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. But, so, I mean, with all that su- said, yeah, in I think, sum, yeah, if we had to pick one, I mean, I'm going with Satanism. Me too. Sure. I'd go with Satanism, then Buddhism, then Jainism, and if you made me take one, like if the only one out there, like the Old Testament, Ten Commandments would be my last one picked out of this four. For sure. I think, I don't know. I'd be hard pressed between Jainism and Buddhism. I'd probably go Buddhism just, I don't know. That'd be tough. It, do I have to go all 10 with Buddhism? Do I have to do like no, the monk the, stuff too? Just, just the, the five. first five. Yeah. I guess I'll do that one because I. that one it, seems to be pr- pretty much what I already do. Yeah. You know? Both Buddhism and Jainism, you don't get to drink alcohol. So, I mean. That sucks. And I have to be a vegetarian in both too, right? Yeah. But you get to eat cheese in both. So I I can eat cheese. So I guess I I can live with that. As long as I can eat cheese, I'll I'll be all right. Yeah. So So that's our show, guys. Talking about morality. I think in some we can say confidently that the Ten Commandments as presented in Exodus are not some amazing work of moral thinking. Every bit of moral thought that's in there, the parts that are good are mundane and exist in other traditions just as well, if not a lot better. Yeah. And when you actually look through the story, look at all the rules and all the laws that are laid out in there, it's clear that the morality part wasn't the most important to this culture, right? It was about the God and sucking up to this God or whatever, but that the morality came second. Yeah, the, as long as the worship part and exactly doing it the right way was far and away more important. And you can tell that by how much time was spent on it. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's the basis for Western morality. I don't think it's that good. I mean, I'd argue that was, that this morality comes from the morality of humans in general, just like human beings have evolved to have certain moral ideas because that's what's at evolutionary advantageous. Yeah. If you had, if you had a society where murder was fine, it wouldn't last very long. Right. Yeah. Unless you had like a purge every couple of years or something. Like that. Right. So like if it was just no holds bar, kill anyone you want, whenever you want, that's not going to last very long. You know, mm-hmm. same thing with like, Oh, you can steal whatever you want, whenever you want with no rules. Like that's also not going to last very long. So, so yeah, I'd say that Western morality 
uh, maybe from the Bible. I mean, Christianity was very important in Western civilization, but um, I don't know. I feel like you, you, if you took Christianity away, whatever else took its place would have been just as good. Yeah, if not better. If not, probably a lot better, let's be real. Yeah. So if you're looking for a moral code, <laughs> look to Satanism, look to Buddhism, look to Jainism. You'll be all right. Maybe skip the Old Testament. Though, if you want to read some like whacked out stories, the Old Testament can be a good read. Oh my gosh. There's a reason they don't read the Old Testament that much in Sunday school. <laughs> it's because okay. it's some crazy stuff happening. This is, we're past the main part of the episode. So if you don't want to listen to this, then I mean, I'm at your dad, turn it off or whatever. But my favorite Old Testament story, without doubt, is Ehud. The left-handed judge. Mm. This is a complete tangent, but real briefly, did you know that in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, so the judges, there's like all these leaders of Israel, they come, they say, hey, you guys are messing up. Usually they liberate Israel from some kind of oppression. Then Israel messes up again, right? Yeah. And it's in the series. One of them is named Ehud. And so Israel is being dominated by this king who's super fat. That's like his character trait or whatever. And Ehud is left-handed. So he goes to the temple or the, sorry, the, the palace where the king is. And because he's left-handed, he's got his blade on a hip that like under his clothes where the guards didn't look because they assumed he would be right-handed. So he gets in with the blade and the king wants to know what his message is. And he's like, I have a message that is for your ears alone. It's so important. Only you can hear it. So the king's like, okay. So he pulls him into like his private, like cooling room or whatever, the place where he goes to like cool off. And the king asks him, what is your message or who is your message from? And Ehud says, I have a message from God, pulls the knife and stabs him in the gut <laughs> and then walks out. It's so badass. <laughs> this is Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Bible edition. <laughs> I don't remember hearing that story in Sunday school. Dude, look it up. <laughs> Ehud is amazing. He Sounds is, like a great movie idea. I and mean, we should do a screenplay. So. Yes. Screw all these like Moses movies. Like, yeah. I don't want to see that. I want to see Ehud. Yeah. Get, I want to I want to see him like eagle jumping from the top of a tower. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, anyway, that tangent go, over. Go read the Old Testament. Find out some cool stories. Let us know what your favorite Old Testament story is in the comments of whatever medium you're listening to this or watching this in. Right. Uh, if you want to leave some feedback on what topic we should cover next, please do. We always like hitting what people want to hear about. Uh, we release an episode on the beginning, end of each month, and the middle of each month. So the next episode, this was religious. The next episode will be non-religious. And I hope you'll uh, come and check it out. And until then, remember, you always have reason to doubt. Peace out.